It's time for JT the Brick. Always, always great to be with the Brick. Cranky Yankee. I'm just giving you your Yankee update. This is the 2021 New York Yankees. Every way you can choke, you choke in dramatic fashion. Cranky Yankee. JT the Brick. Britain can't get it done. He walks a runner with a one and two count and then a game winning home run, which would have been a game tying home run, and the Yankees lose. You fire Aaron Boone and you leave him in the cornfield for the children of the corn to find him. Cranky Yankee. I'm just giving you your Yankee update. Get the blank out of here. And now, here's JT the Brick. Wow, that is the Cranky Yankee update. It's opening day in the Bronx. Trailing the Red Sox, four to three. JT with you. Good to have you today. We're brought to you by PT's Best Happy Hour in Town. I will be at the SG Bar at the top of 215 in Flamingo later on today. Just meeting friends and watching the Masters as I open up the show and Tiger Woods is imploding. Imploding at the Masters. He's bogeyed three of the first four holes. Three of the first four holes. Now he's got a part putt save. Could be uh, four of the first five. So everybody at the Masters... Seems to be going backwards. Everybody's playing poorly today, which is a shame. Dustin Johnson, a lot of guys going back. It's unfortunate. If Tiger could have just hung around one under, he'd be doing great today. But uh, Tiger can't hit a green. Tiger can't hit a fairway. And it's kind of a bummer because I was hoping to watch Tiger all week and contend. I think he'll make the cut. But by the way, he's playing. He could be 7-8 over today. He looks that bad. So welcome to the weekend. Rory McIlroy, three over as he's on the 15th. It's tough to win at the Masters, man. It is. You think the guys are playing good, then they come in and they start imploding on a Friday. Really was hoping for the opposite today, and that will not be the case. How's everybody doing here? The weekend is coming. We're in the month of April, and we're getting real close to the NFL draft. And I'm going to be down on the strip this weekend. It'll be interesting to go by the link and to see what it looks like over there as they're building out the stage for the draft. Here at the end of the month, I had a meeting today with our partners at Modelo. We will be doing a live, exciting remote on the Thursday of the NFL draft on the Caesars property. We'll give you the exact location when we lock it down, but that'll be something for all Raider fans to pop on by. We'll have shirts and koozies and hats and cool stuff. The Raiderettes will be there putting the final pieces together on that one and doing an event at the M on the Friday night of the draft day two. Maybe the Raiders will have a pick on the second day. Maybe not. So we're just going to cruise through the rest of the month here with the NBA playoffs starting the golden Knights very quickly here will either be eliminated from the playoffs or they'll barely get in. And that's a big concern for me now because without the golden Knights in the playoffs, this town takes a major blow. Major blow to the bars and people hanging out and getting together and having a lot of fun for that. So even if you're a Raider fan and not a big hockey fan, it's a big part of our show. So we will keep an eye on that. A little bit later on today, we continue our history of the draft coverage. Mark Wilson's going to join us. 1980 first round pick for the Raiders. He won two Super Bowls for the Raiders. You know the story of Jim Plunkett coming behind him, backing him up, and then Plunkett becoming one of the all-time greats. Mark Wilson, great Raider. Raider organization loves him, two-time Super Bowl champ. Uh, He was one of the greatest college quarterbacks to play in any era. So he'll join us at the bottom of the hour, and I'll ask him about his draft experience, getting some really good reviews on those interviews from the players that we've had on. 
We're going to replay Greg Townsend's interview at some point in the second hour because that's getting a big download if you missed that. He's pretty emotional as arguably the most underrated Raider of all time. That's next hour. Mark Wilson will join us live. I'll have a baseball interview with Scott Miller, great baseball insider from MLB Network Radio. He's going to join us later in the show. Also, Will Blackman, 12-year safety in the league, won a Super Bowl with the Giants, played with the Packers, and he's going to come on to talk about his years and what it was like. And he played for the Washington Commanders when they were the Redskins. I'll ask him about that. Uh, Tiger Woods, by the way, another bogey. He bogeyed one, three, four, and five. Tiger Woods goes from one under to three over, and he's just midway through the first round here. Jordan Spieth also put two balls in the water on number 12, the hole that kills him, so he's out of the tournament. So I'm going to be jumping back and forth with all of that, jumping back and forth with all of that as we get going. Uh, This morning, I got up, and I was driving, and I was listening to our sister station, ESPN Radio, and Ed Graney was on talking to Paul Gutierrez, and they were having a conversation about Darren Waller. I was tuning in the other day to Clay and Heidi, and they were having a conversation about Darren Waller. And I noticed more and more people are talking about the possibility of Darren Waller not being here at some point with two years remaining on his contract. To me, this one's a no-brainer. If I get it right or wrong, I could care less. I, I, don't get, I don't get paid to get things right. I get paid to have opinions. Darren Waller, to me, is untouchable. They have him in a value contract. They re-signed him. Credit to Mike Mayock and the former staff. They re-signed him at a significantly small number compared to what he's worth. The story of Dar- Darren Waller and how they found him from the Ravens in a warm-up when the Raiders played at Baltimore And they brought him in, and then he went through his issues. He's sober. He has a great foundation. He's involved with the community, and he's a breakout player. So I think it's important for people to bring up topics like this, and I'm not judging anyone on this, but I don't think that Darren Waller should be a topic of any conversation. Here's why. Without Darren Waller, I don't see how the Raiders can win at the level that you want the Raiders to win at. That would be a Super Bowl. With Darren Waller, with this contract or a contract extension, and they can always figure out a way to do that, I think he's the building block on the possibility of winning a Super Bowl. So the only reason we can talk about the Raiders as a Super Bowl contender is Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, Max Crosby, Hunter Renfro, and Darren Waller. The Raiders have what I believe with Derek Carr, five to six stars in this league who can go to the Pro Bowl. I'm looking forward to seeing Rocky Yassin play. Maybe he has Pearl Bowl capability. Maybe Trayvon Mullen or Trayvon Merrick could develop into borderline or potential Pro Bowl players. But I know who the Pro Bowl players are on this team. I know who the elite players are on this team and the players who can dominate a game. I've watched Travis Kelsey kick this team's ass his entire time. I've just watched Travis Kelsey come into Oakland, come into Las Vegas, and literally own the Raiders. When Kelsey goes to the Hall of Fame, he should mention the Raiders in his speech because he's going to the Hall of Fame for what he's done against the Raider organization. The Raiders finally have someone who can counter that move in Darren Waller. The Raiders tried to counter the move of Tyreek Hill with Henry Ruggs III. It was a smart move at the time. People didn't like it. Jerry Judy, CD, you know, you looked at the receivers who were going, who was going at the time. 
Did you want CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, or did you want Henry Ruggs III? It was a fair debate. We never thought that Henry, who was a great kid, great kid when he came here, didn't have a mark on him, would be involved in a tragedy that killed Tina Tintor in a violent car crash. Okay, that happened. He's gone. He's gone from football, gone from the organization. But the Raiders were playing chess. They weren't playing checkers, and they wanted to get Henry Ruggs to counter Tyreek Hill and have a similar player. I was privy to those conversations leading up to the draft, and that's why they got him. And that's in the past. But when it comes to Kelsey, finally the Raiders have a player in Darren Waller. And Darren Waller is super elite. He got banged up last year. I was concerned about it at the end. I didn't know when he was coming back. I was surprised he wasn't coming back sooner than later. But Darren was able to play down the stretch. And he played for the team leading up to the playoffs. And in the playoffs. So for Darren Waller, it's been a topic here. And I trust everybody that's on our channel. All of our insiders, they have to do a job here. Uh, My job is to tell you what I think. I don't care what anybody else thinks. Don't care at all. I think that Darren Waller is a cornerstone of this franchise going forward because of his leadership off the field, off the field, which is important in this town after what happened last year with Damon Arnett, who became a thug overnight, okay, with the guns and all that, and what happened to Henry Ruggs III. So I'm a big Waller guy because of what he can be. As a leader in the community, I think he's a great player. He's got to be available. He's got to be healthy. He's got to be targeted a lot. But Devontae Adams is going to get more targets than Darren Waller. Hunter Renfro is going to get about 100 receptions for the rest of his life. That's what he requires here. And then there's other good players who can come in and play the receiver position. So I'm not going to go nuts here and say stop the Darren Waller conversation because there's enough people talking about it, including journalists. But I believe the buck stops here on this show. I think that we should be talking about building around Darren Waller. I am not saying that the rumors, are, the, the Raiders are rumored to trade him at all. I know zero on that, nor do I believe that there's any smoke there in that story. But I have a lot of, a lot of faith in Darren Waller. I consider Darren Waller and Max Crosby the same guy. Same guy. Max Crosby, Darren Waller, both sobriety issues, got sober, turned their lives around, both elite Pro Bowl players. If you want to win eventually, Raider fans, and you want to beat the Chiefs and host a home playoff game and win playoff games, you got to keep the best players. Now, I don't know what Dave Ziegler values more now, a Pro Bowl player or three draft picks or two draft picks in a trade. We're going to find out here soon enough because the draft is this month right around the corner. But everybody can talk about Darren Waller. We got open lines at 702-365-9200. I mentioned it yesterday, and I'm just talking about it today in the monologue because I heard it today on our channel. And we do good radio on this channel all day, and I understand why people would bring that topic up. But I am not going to uh, side with anybody who considers moving Darren Waller or having that conversation, the rumor of the Titans potentially wanting, wanting him or another team. Because then it's a step backwards. And the Raiders won 10 games this year. And why do you believe, why do you believe at this point is that the Vegas insiders, the sports books, have the Raiders at eight and a half wins, which is nine. You got to win nine. So they don't think that the Raiders can win nine games. That's the number set at the Westgate and these other books. And they don't believe so because they believe that a brand new head coach working with a quarterback and a new offense and a brand new defensive coordinator brings a team back slightly, which could be right. I'm not a professional gambler. Some will say that's true. 
Also, the Raiders won too many games last year on the final possession. Gamblers believe that that all weighs out at the end and corrects himself. So I talked to a, a gambler who bets 1000 bucks a game on every game, a friend of mine, and he said, yeah. He goes, I'm, I'm not taking the Raiders. I'm taking the under on eight and a half. I said, really? He goes, yeah, I don't think they'll win nine in the division with the, with the increase of the Chargers and Denver with Russell Wilson and the rest of the scenario there and the new coaching staff. So if you look at that, I want to uh, get your opinion on the eight and a half today because I, I think this is a big, big topic. It's a huge topic because the public doesn't believe now that the Raiders are worthy of nine wins. Last year, I got it. I had nine. I guess right last year with nine wins, and uh, they ended up winning 10. But I didn't think they'd win all those games on last-second walk-off overtime field goals. You didn't either. I mean, no one thought that. So will that, will that pan out this year and go backwards? Will the new coaching staff, which is supposed to take the team farther in the long run, I don't mean five, ten years, I'm talking two or three years, do they take a baby step back to move forward these players, the car extension, all that, and then go on a two- to three-year assault to get to the Super Bowl. You see, everybody, what we're trying to do around here is build up a radio station that follows a football team that's going to take multiple shots, multiple shots at the Super Bowl. Kind of what Kansas City's done the last couple of years. They've only won one. But they're taking multiple shots at the playoffs trying to get that going. So I'm not ready now. I'm not, I'm not ready now at all to predict Raider wins. I, I'm, I'm not saying a word on that until we get about a week or two out from the start of the season. But you know, a lot of people who are a little bit nervous now about Darren Waller, how many games they're going to win, all of this. I am not. This, my, this will be my 24th year with the team. I've hosted a lot of years where the team wasn't a 500 team or their aspirations were to get back to 500. My aspirations now in this window coming up with Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler is multiple, multiple attempts at the Super Bowl. And if they have a Super Bowl team, then talking about getting close. And I think that happens with the core of Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, Devontae Adams, Derek Carr, Chandler Jones, and Max Crosby. Those are seven star players that I've mentioned. Seven. Okay, 22 guys on the field, 11 on 11. Then you add the punter, you go to the kicking game. Not many teams in the NFL have Chandler Jones, Max Crosby, Carr, Devontae, Henry Ruggs, and a guy like Darren Waller. They just don't. But what they do have, which is better than the Raiders, is they have a better offensive line. They have much better linebackers. And they have less question marks in the secondary. So that's what the Raiders have to do next. And the, I think the big issue for the rest of the offseason is getting another swing offensive lineman. An offensive lineman that could come in and really play well. You know, I was happy that they brought in Alex Bars from the Bears. I don't know how good of a player he is. I mean, I got to go back and look at the film. But he's a guy that could start or be a swing type player. Brandon Parker being here. Denzel Good. Andre James up front, Colt Miller, and then Alex Leatherwood. I mean, those are a lot of guys coming to camp. Problem with me, the last six or seven years in camp, especially uh, before Tom Cable came and when Tom Cable came, 
with Richie Incognito. It was just guys who were always hurt. So I, I, I don't care how good Alex Barr is. I don't. I care if he can be healthy. I, I, I know that Leatherwood's going to get better. He's not going to get worse. He's getting NFL coaching now. He came from Nick Saban. He got good coaching, national championship, Outland Trophy. He's only going to get better in the NFL. Colt Miller, I believe, this upcoming year will now start making a Pro Bowl run of five or six years in his prime. But uh, get me another offensive lineman here because the Raiders have been very active in the defensive line position and defensive tackle for the last couple of years, especially with Rod Marinelli. Now with Graham as the defensive coordinator, really interested in sitting down with him and trying to get a feel for what he wants. What are the holes left on the Raider defense as we get going? 702-365-9200. Here's Chris in West Oakland starting us off. Chris, thanks for starting us off today. How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. How are you, JT? Doing good. You know, Friday heading into the weekend. Listen, I didn't get a chance to hear last night. I'm looking forward to hearing the, the Greg Townsend interview before I get to my Waller take. I've said for years, and I've been saying it on your show, it boggles my mind when they talk about not just great Raiders, but great players in history and future Hall of Famers. Cliff Branch, Jim Plunkett, for years, we needed to get Snake Stabler and Tom Flores. How does Greg Townsend never get mentioned? How is this guy completely forgotten? He's got 30 more career sacks nearly than Howie Long. He's one of a handful of players in the NFL with 100 career sacks. Not just the Raiders, JT. This is one of the most underrated football players of all time. He was a stud on the last Raiders Super Bowl team that was an all-time great defense. I just, it, like I said, it just blows me away that this guy has been completely forgotten in the annals of NFL great defensive ends. And I think this needs to be one of the guys that we start pushing to the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, as the next great Raider now that we finally got Cliff Branch. Hopefully we get Lester Hayes in soon. Uh, on the Darren Waller thing, I'm with you, JT. I believe always if you can make yourself better, you always have to look into it. But unless somebody just completely blows the Raiders away with an unrealistic offer, you're not going to make yourself better by trading Darren Waller. The guy's a top three to four tight end. I don't think he's as good as Kelsey and Kittle because I don't think he's as tough as those guys. As great as Waller is, he doesn't make safeties bounce off of him. He doesn't wrestle the ball away in traffic. But that's just pick, you know, that's just. That's just something to pick at. Other than that, the guy's phenomenal. He's got the speed of a wide receiver and the size of an offensive lineman. You don't get better by trading a Darren Waller. Every Super Bowl champion the last 10 or 15 years has had a great tight end in the middle of the field. If we're going to have the speed on the outside, Waller should be even better this year. Maybe get less targets, but get twice the production out of what he does have. And one other thing about the contract, I know he's got two more years. I don't know when it's been written that these players all need to be taken care of before their contract's up. He's got two years to go, and I've heard people talking about his agent maybe next year holding him out. Why do they have to sign these guys, JT, before their contract's up? Let them play this year and worry about the contract next year. But I'm with you. He's under contract at a good price. The Raiders took a chance on him, and it's paid dividends. Let him play out his contract and then take care of him at the end of it. But 100% with you, brother, I don't want to trade Darren uh, Waller because you don't make yourself a better football team by trading that kind of a talent. Have a great weekend, my friend. Uh, Opening day, I'm going to sit here and watch my joke of an organization, Oakland Athletics, see what they can do today. I still owe you a phone call on them. Thank you, my friend. Later. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Good to hear from you. It's tough. uh, The A's, the Oakland A's on opening day, it's really tough to get behind that team after what they're doing to the fans up there. Again, this is my last show of the week. Bobby's got the Libby Shaft. Uh, She's doubling down again, mocking Las Vegas. 
as Oakland sports is falling apart as we speak. She should be apologizing to the millions, not hundreds of thousands, the millions of East Bay and Bay Area sports fans for her derelict behavior when it comes to professional sports in the city of Oakland. Here's the mayor of Oakland yesterday. It's going to be more complicated, and you've got to be much more environmentally focused when you are developing on the precious California coastline than in the gross desert of Las Vegas. So, yes, it's more complicated, and it's totally worth it. <laughs> I saw right. that shade. Uh-huh. It was slipped in there real quick, but okay, we got it, we got it. <laughs> and the idiots, whoever the idiots are on the newscast, just, you know, laughing. Like, I know really good news people in this town, and the ones up there, I mean, the IQ, I don't even want to get into, but they're laughing and giggling at all this. You know, isn't it amazing that the Bay Area media sat by for the last seven, eight, nine years, and really no one had a lot to add on this situation? It was either throw darts at Mark Davis or wonder about the JPA and the city and the Coliseum board and all that. It was corruption at the highest level. It's uh, politicians who were just clueless to what could happen there from BART to what was happening to the stadium, redevelopment, all of this. There are actually people stupid enough in the city of Oakland for the downtimes and everything that great city went through, thinking they needed to develop condos and steakhouses like anybody wanted to go to that area of Oakland to live in a condo or have a steak. Give me a break instead of just building a state-of-the-art stadium. And now they're trying to talk about what's going to happen on the water there, something that I've been preaching for 10 years. And Libby's really concerned about the pristine area of the waterfront in Oakland. I don't know if you ever watched the show Sopranos. It was one of my favorite shows of all time. The waterfront of Oakland is similar to the waterfront of New Jersey, where they film Sopranos. You don't want to have to reach in the water and pull out something there. So, again, the coastline of the Bay Area, Monterey, Monterey and other beautiful areas, the most pristine coastline I've ever seen in my life. But don't start telling me about the coastline of Oakland, where the terminal is, where all those giant Star Wars-looking things are that are lifting up crates and all that. Don't tell me about that place being pristine. I hope the A's stay there. I hope they're vibrant there. They have terrible ownership. They have a Carnival Barker and Dave Cavill who's using Vegas against Oakland and Oakland against Vegas. And we are doing just fine right here. We have the largest Korean boy band in the world where there's a line outside. There's a line outside Allegiant Stadium for one of the biggest concerts in North American history this weekend. We are doing fine here, Madam Mayor. And uh, we hope you don't come for a visit. 702-365-9200. Passionate Raider on a Friday heading into the weekend. You're up next. That's right, JT. That's the first thing I was going to say to you. What is it? It's Friday. Another week down? What's that mean? Another day closer to Raider football. That's what I'm talking about, JT. And Darren Waller, you know, we love him to death. But, man, when you really think about him, the more you talk about Travis Kelsey – He's never been a Travis Kelsey type of Raider to where he's just, I can't really think of one game, the Baltimore game last year, where he really came out and was dominant. Travis Kelsey's had numerous games where he is unstoppable by everybody. But this is the butt that Darren Waller gets from me. He really didn't have no other elite receivers on the squad with him his first three years with Derek. He was the main focus. 
So after three or four games, I kind of see that they kind of started locking more on Darren and taking Darren away. This year, it's going to be a lot harder to take Darren away with five weapons out there. Who are you going to double, JT? I don't know. But you know what? One more week closer to Raider football. Let's go. Have a good day, JT. Happy Friday. Yeah, have a good weekend. You know, double teaming, as, as I've always said here, the only criticism I've had about Darren Waller, it's not on him. It was the fact that they didn't force the ball to him. They forced, they forced the ball to him on the opening night. Remember the Monday night football win against Baltimore? I'll double-check how many targets he had. Didn't he have 18 or 20 targets in that game? And I remember interviewing John Gruden on TV after that game, and he kind of smirked at me. And, you know, we had to ask the question about the targets he had. And everybody was up in arms that he got too many targets. And me and Coach Gruden were laughing, like, what are you talking about? He's the guy you over-target. So now you got this really use of, of the expansion of riches here. You can over-target Devontae Adams, which means throw it to him too much. You can do that with Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller, and I'm good with all of it. Good with all of it. I mean, Derek Carr, if he wants to throw it 50 times a game to those guys, I have no problem with that. I would rather on every short running play, if Hunter Renfro isn't guarded, if he's single covered, I'd rather instead of run the ball, and I know they're going to run it, and Josh McDaniel's got some good running backs here, but I think that Hunter Renfro's the best slot third down, get on the ground and catch a three-yard pass and move the chains more than what we saw last year running it into a brick wall on first and second down and putting all that pressure on Derek to have to make a throw on third down. You know, last year, not two years ago, but last year there was a lot of pressure on Derek Carr on third down. It was like incompletion or run it up into a wall then the next thing you know, instead of third and two or three, it's third and five, third and six, third and seven. And Derek had a count on Zay Jones or another type of receiver to catch the ball. He doesn't have that problem anymore. Derek's got Devontae Adams. You can throw him a high point pass into a double team, and he'll catch it more than not. Darren Waller's not going to be double teamed as much as last year. And I don't know how you ever double team Renfro if you have Waller and Devontae Adams on the field at the same time. I mean, this is an embarrassment of riches in Oakland. Coming up next, we look back at the history of the NFL draft. I've really been enjoying this. And Mark Wilson will join us. Former first-round pick of the Raiders, a two-time Super Bowl champion, drafted in the first round in 1980 out of BYU. We'll share his draft story next, brought to you by M Resort. This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. Waller could chip on him. Here's Carr from the gun. Got a running zone, fires on the move. Caught by Hunter Renfro. Jackpot, baby, finally. Brad Mutzberger on the call. JT back with you on a Masters Friday. Tiger going backwards. In a bad way. Not good there. We'll give you a leaderboard update. Uh, this segment brought to you by M Resort Spawn Casino. The Raiders have been amazing. We started with Fred Bolitnikoff in the 60s. We did the 70s. We're in the 80s with one of the Raiders. Great draft picks. One of their great players. Highest draft picks of all time. Uh, Mark Wilson kind enough to join us. 1980 
first-round pick, two-time Super Bowl champion, and a college consensus All-American. Mark, I hope you're doing well. Thanks for joining us again on Raider Nation Radio. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. It's great to be on with you, JT. Thank you. Great to talk to you again. Let's begin. I want to talk about in college at Brigham Young and Lavelle Edwards. And did you feel like you were getting groomed to be an NFL quarterback? Because you played at such a high level in college. When did the NFL chatter start coming in the background where you knew scouts were looking and people were talking about you going to the next level? Well, it started with the guy you know, that was in front of me at BYU, a guy named Gifford Nielsen. Gifford was an All-American. Uh, BYU under Lavelle Edwards kind of decided the only way they could really win consistently was to throw the ball. And, you know, that was the mid-70s when not a lot of teams were throwing the ball. Not a lot of teams knew how to really do it or coach it because so many teams had been committed to the running game for so long. Uh, so Gifford Nielsen came along and kind of was the first one in the system and became an All-American and went on and played for the Houston Oilers. And when that happened, people started watching BYU and started paying attention to the quarterbacks. And I just happened to follow Gifford and kind of kind of get in that jet stream. And then, of course, as you know, we had a bunch of guys. Jim McMahon followed me and Steve Young followed Jim. And oh. we had a long run of guys that really did well in college and then went on and played in the NFL. You know, Mark, it's amazing. I want to I follow up with when a team – and the concept changes, and you happen to be there. You know, you hear about Oklahoma and the wishbone, other teams, the way they run offenses, the way Notre Dame ran offenses for years before they opened up the offense. Let's look at Alabama. Alabama's a great example, and now how Nick Saban has evolved with his quarterback, and now he's having perennial first-round picks. What was that like when you saw the change happen right before you but around your time with this explosive offense that you were able to benefit from? Yeah, it was an amazing time. You know, even when I was in high school, you know, coming out of high school and deciding kind of where I was going to go play in college, I mean, the, the really the thing that sold me to go to BYU was the fact that they were they were committed to throwing the ball. I mean, they were throwing the ball, you know, 40 times a game in the mid-1970s. That was unheard of. And so getting a chance to go and play in that kind of an offense versus going and playing somewhere where, where I'd hand off 50 or 60 times a game, which is what everybody else was doing, was really an attractive concept. Now, you know, what's funny, I didn't have, I wasn't the only one with that idea. The other thing that helped us at BYU, frankly, was there was so much talent at the quarterback position that, you know, every day at practice, you were, you were pushed. So on mm-hmm. the field with me, uh, you know, at one time was Gifford Nielsen, myself, and Jim McMahon. And then we had a guy named Dan Hartwig who actually transferred out of BYU but ended up playing for the 49ers. So there were all four of us were on that practice field at the same time. And that was a huge thing that we probably didn't, you know, uh, fully recognize at the time. But looking back, that was a a big thing with respect to my development and I think everybody's. Yeah, Robbie Bosco, Ty Detmer, the career that Detmer had. I mean, just incredible, the system here, as we're talking to former Raider quarterback Mark Wilson. So, Mark, you shared with me uh, this with me back in the day, but I want to talk about it again for our new audience. The draft is coming up. I I I see you here as the – Offensive player of the year in your conference, you win the Sammy Baugh Trophy, first team, consensus All-American, and people wonder, how'd you drop to 15? I mean, you today, today Mac Jones drops to 15 on a national champion. There's four quarterbacks that they think are better. There weren't many better quarterbacks than you. When did you sense you were going to go in the draft? And who was asking around, knocking on the door, saying they were going to take you earlier? Well, you, you know, I know it's hard to imagine, but, you know, we're talking 40-some years ago now. It was a much different game. 
You know, I think really the emphasis was on the running back position. It'd be interesting to go back and see how many running backs were taken in 1980 in those first 15 picks. Uh, that's kind of where the emphasis was. And, and the rule changes and all those things that have happened since then have kind of shifted the focus to the passing game and then really kind of highlighted just how important it is to have an elite quarterback to be successful in the NFL today, given the rule changes and everything that's happened in the last 40 years. So it was a whole different experience back then. Uh, I mean, I was even thinking today as I was thinking about us on this call, you know, I can't even, in 1980 when, when I was drafted, there was nothing like it is today. I mean, today you watch it on television. There's so much stuff that kind of precedes it, so you kind of have a sense of what teams are thinking, what they're going to do. There was none of that. In fact, uh, when I was drafted, I was at my parents' There was not even a way to keep track of where things were in the draft process. So you didn't know who had already taken players. You didn't know who was already off the board. You, you didn't know anything. You just hoped to get a phone call, you know, at some point in time during the day. <laughs> and that's kind of how it went. So it was a whole different experience in 1980, believe me. Uh, we're talking to Mark Wilson. What a great story. What a great college career. Two-time Super Bowl champ with the Raiders. So, again, I, you didn't hear this, but all the other guys I'm interviewing – they're telling me about, you know, Mike Ciani. I get a call in a phone booth. Fred Bolitnikoff is stopped on the field from Al Davis signing the contract. When did you get the call? Where were you at that time? Family, who was around you? Yeah, I was at my parents' home in Silverdale, Washington, which is, you know, just uh, east of Seattle, out on the peninsula. And uh, my parents were there. My wife, Colleen, was there. I was there. And, and we, it was just us. And, and I remember kind of helping my dad around his, his, his home in the morning. I was nervous. I didn't happen, hoping to get a phone call and then just waiting. And finally, the phone rang and, and it was the Raiders. And, and actually, they called me a couple picks before they actually took me. And they said, it was kind of funny. They said, listen, would you like to play for the Raiders? And I said, well, yeah. And they said, because you filled out a questionnaire. And the last question on that questionnaire was, would you like to play for the Raiders? And you said no. <laughs> and I said, well, I said no, because when you sent me the questionnaire, you had Ken Stabler, you had Jim Plunkey, you had David Hum. And I really didn't think I could fit in. I mean, how was I going to fit in with those guys? So I didn't really think that was a place for me. But if you, guys, if you guys believe in me, then, yeah, I'd love to play for the Raiders. And by then, they had, I think, traded – Ken Stabler to Houston for Dan Pastorini, so things had changed a little bit. And then, uh, you know, a little while later, they called me back and they'd actually taken me. So it was kind of funny. The other thing that was funny, JT, was that, um, you know, in those days, there were 28 teams in the NFL, and going into the draft, again, it was so different. There was no combine, there was none of that. But I'd been contacted by, I think, 25 out of the 28 teams, flew in and saw them, had physicals. There were three teams in the entire league I didn't really ever talk to, didn't interview with, and one of those teams was the Raiders. And I'm sure it was because of the reason I just talked about. They had a set quarterback room. Um, so anyway, it's kind of funny. Yeah. It's ironic that of all the teams I ended up with, I ended up with the Raiders. And looking back, I'm so grateful I, I did because it was a perfect place for me. And what a great experience playing yeah. for the Raiders. The College Football Hall of Famer Mark Wilson joins us. You know, Mark, with Jim Plunkett there and the two Super Bowls that Jim won and your relationship when I see you with the alumni – now Cliff Branch just got finally voted in for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, Cliff, your teammate, no longer with us, and how important that moment was. Jim Plunkett's not in the Hall of Fame, a dear friend of yours. He should be. We had Greg Townsend on, someone that you know very well. When you look back at the teammates, I want to go to your rookie year. When you came in to the organization, who were the two or three that you looked around and you were in awe of, considering you came from a great program and had an unbelievable year. Who did you look up to? Well, I, you know, it's 
I looked up to every, everybody. I mean, the whole, there was so much incredible talent on that team. And that was a, you know, a veteran laden team, guys who've been around a long time that of course, if you're a football fan, you knew the names, Gene Upshaw and Art Schell and Henry Lawrence and Teddy Hendricks and John Matuzak and Lester Hayes and Mike Davis. And I mean, the list went on and on and on. Dave Casper, uh, Mark Van Egan, Cliff Branch, Morris Bradshaw. I mean, the names just mm. went on and on. Uh, Ray Guy. I mean, the names just went on and on and on. And it, every day at practice, it was just eye-opening. I mean, I'd never seen guys like this before. And I played with some good teams in college, but I'd never seen guys like this. And it was just, um, it was fun to go to practice. And it was fun just to watch them and be a part of that. Going on with your life now. I know you come in. You're going to be coming to games, and I want to get to the current team. But what are you doing now with your family? Uh, let us know what's happening in your life today. Well, I moved to Utah. I started a business here about ten years ago. It's doing really well. We're shipping product now to 26 countries around the world. So that occupies my time. But I, I have four. We have four children that we raise. We have six grandchildren, and and wow. life is really good for us right now. We're really enjoying the family. It's. It's just a wonderful time. What a blessing. When you saw Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones, when you saw the Devontae Adams news and knowing Derek and what Derek's trying to do, uh, finally played in the playoff game for the Raiders last time he was injured, and the fact that Mark Davis stepped up and brought in Chandler Jones, more sacks than anyone uh, over the last 10 years in the league, and then Devontae Adams, the prize receiver in football, how optimistic are you with this team this season? Oh, I'm super excited about what they've done. I think I think Mark Davis has just been phenomenal. The moves he's made, you know, since uh, he's kind of stepped into that role, uh, it's just been amazing to see what he has done. And, and really, it just shows his commitment, you know, to the organization, and to the team, and, and he's going to do whatever it takes to get them over the hump and, and get them to where he wants them to be. And it's happening. You know, it's happening right before our eyes, and it's fun. It's really fun to watch. Uh, give us a Mark Davis story. You go back with Mark a long time when, you know, the son of Al Davis when he was around Los Angeles, and now he's the owner of the team. It must be very unique for you because you go back with Mark as long as Mark's been around with the organization. Now you see him with the Legion Stadium and all the great things that are happening. What's your relationship like with Mark? Well, we, we do go back a long time, you know, 40-some years. Mark was around a lot. Mark was dear friends with a lot of guys on the team, especially Cliff and, and, and guys like that. And so, you know, I, I did see a lot of Mark. Mark obviously saw a lot of me. Um, and like I said, I've been so impressed with what he has done. It's been absolutely remarkable. You know, his dad was a legend, always will be a legend, so beloved by Raider Nation, so beloved by the guys that played for him. I mean, we all loved Mr. Davis because the thing that we knew about Mr. Davis more than anything else is he wanted to win. And and to be honest, JP, there were some organizations where you weren't sure how committed they were to winning because they never, ever won. And so to be with an owner that was committed to winning, would do whatever it took to win, that was a great place to play. And and Mark, is, I think, is well, I don't think, I know, he's exactly the same way. And what you see he's done in the last, you know, four or five years have, has truly been remarkable. Thanks for doing this, Mark. It's always a pleasure and honor to talk to you. So impressed with what you've done in not only your career but your life with your family. And Raider Nation appreciates it, and we hope to see you at a bunch of games this year. Well, you will. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. You got it. Mark Wilson, what a kind man. What a great guy. You know, I've interviewed him a number of times here. He's one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. So he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. And I make this comparison because it's easy. Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow did not have a great NFL career, right? 
He's a icon superstar legend. He's got two national championships and a Heisman. That's enough. Jim Plunkett has a Heisman. Fortunate to have two Super Bowls. We judge all of these men and quarterbacks against Joe Montana and Tom Brady. They're not Joe Montana and Tom Brady. Some are better than others, and some achieve greatness. Others do more. You know, it didn't work out with Jamarcus Russell. You wish him well. You don't hate a person like that. I interview Ryan Leaf a lot. Ryan Leaf had a fall from grace. Mark Wilson comes in with Pastorini and Plunkett. Plunkett gets the opportunity. The team, the future of the team, was supposed to go to Mark Wilson, the first-round pick. Things changed. He was a valuable backup. He played in some big games. He's won two Super Bowls. Back like royalty from this team. How many backup quarterbacks get brought back from an organization and treated the way they treat these individuals? So when I think of Mark Wilson, I think of him more of BYU. And when he mentioned Jim McMahon and Steve Young and Ty Detmer, he's in that group of the all-time greats to play. He didn't have a brilliant NFL career. He had a brilliant college career. And his family is the Raiders. Hope you enjoyed that. Really unique guy. Nice guy, too. Really appreciate it. 702-365-9200. I'm kind of bummed out today with the Masters. It's kind of screwing up my weekend. Backyard brick. I'm about to have a bucket of Modelo's in an hour and 15 minutes. I wanted to see Tiger on the leaderboard. He's falling apart. Do you think you can win the Masters this week? I do. And what have you seen in your preparation that leads you to believe that? Well, I can I can hit it just fine, and I, I I don't have any qualms about what I can do physically from a golf standpoint. It's now walking is the hard part. Tiger Woods is not playing well today. Justin Thomas is two over. There's a lot of guys going backwards. The leaderboard is pretty ugly. So we'll get you an update there. The weather's windy. It's a little overcast and cold there. Very windy as guys are trying to shape their shot, and the ball is blowing all over the place at Augusta National. Rest in peace. Godspeed to Cowboy legend Rayfield Wright, the two-time Super Bowl champion, Pro Football Hall of Famer, member of the 1970s All-Decade team. Remember the Raiders in 1970. The Raiders, the Steelers, and the Cowboys. He was known as the Big Cat. Last year for Tom Flores' induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, one of my buddies is a ticket broker in Dallas, Johnny Mack, a really good friends with Rayfield, and he invited me to the end of a lunch he was having with him, and my wife was there with me. And I just want to share this story about Rayfield. Right, we came over to the Holiday Inn, the home of the Hall of Famers. The Hall of Famers stay at the Holiday Inn. And I walked in, and I saw Johnny Mack and the big cat, Rayfield Wright, stood up. I mean, you want to talk about a human being, the size of this man, shook my wife's hand, asked my wife her name, and and shook my hand. We sat there, had a nice tea, talked to him for about 10 minutes as they were wrapping up the check and the bill, and he got up and walked away. And I told my friend, Johnny Mack, I go, I've always wanted to meet him. You know, the Raiders had Art Shell and Gene Upshaw, and there's been great offensive linemen, Henry Lawrence, great friend of ours. But the big cat, Rayfield Wright, died, Gil Brandt, the Hall of Famer for the Cowboys said, this is a day of great mourning. Rayfield Wright was like a son to me. I still can't believe he's gone. A man of great faith. There is no doubt he entered through the gates of heaven. Uh, that means a lot from Gil Brandt. 
9200. Uh, Jared in Vegas, you're on the flagship of the Raiders. Go ahead. Good afternoon, JT. What's good? Everything's good, man. Good weekend ahead. What's happening? Uh, just uh, listening to your interview with Mark Wilson. You know, that was very, very good, insightful. You know, I, me growing up as a, as a kid from uh, the 80s, I only know him as a backup. So it was, it was good, uh, good to hear some of his stories. And, um, you know, he was called, he was there when called upon. And, you know, um, I, I think of Todd Christensen, when, when you talk about the BYU teams and, mm-hmm. and, and Mark Wilson and Todd was, Todd was my guy. And, you know, what a, what a great tight end Todd was and, and worth every penny that he ever got rest in peace, Todd. And, you know, Speaking of the tight end, it makes me think about what you were talking about with Waller, and um, I can't help but but feel that this is a, a clutch sports thing. I mean, you know, two years away, there's a lot of noise ever since we've been bringing in the you know the free agents, and I feel that the deal is good for both sides. You know, I know that these guys need to get their money when they get it, but it's two years left. I say we do nothing with Waller. We're not better without him. Yeah. So, you know, he. I, I say we, we just ride it out and and let whatever they say they're going to do. But unfortunately, it's a clutch sports thing, and it's a it's hurting the Lakers. And I hope it doesn't it doesn't um yeah. you know rear its head on us. Yeah. Thanks I for thought. the call. Yeah, Darren Waller is under contract. You know, and guys believe they're underpaid and they have agencies. An agent who thinks they're underpaid, they try to negotiate and get more money. Uh, that's all they try to do. I don't get in the way of guys' money. It's not. I can't do a radio show this many years with the Raiders if I'm sitting here negotiating contracts with what players are worth. I don't know what any player's worth. I have no idea. Uh, they inside the building, Mark Davis and his team, and Dave Ziegler come up with the price and what everybody's worth. And whatever the number is with Darren Waller, I believe he's worth it because he's a great player, a great human being. I really want Darren to do well. I think he could have a massive year this year as long as he's healthy. Raider Mac in Los Angeles. Thanks for calling on the Raiders stream on the Raiders mobile app. Hey, uh, JT, how you doing today? Good, thank you. Hey, uh, JT, a couple of things. Uh, great interview with Mark Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, he was uh, one, he's a Raider for life, so we, we enjoyed that. But JT, Raider Nation need to cut this out. Darren Wallace. We always had great tight ends, Todd Christensen. You just go down the list. We, we didn't have some great tight ends in the organization. But my thing is for Raider Nation to think, that's good. we've won. I've been a Raider fan for over 50-some years, JT. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've had, in the last 20-some years, we had like four or five winning seasons. And it's time to stop trading good players away or get rid of them. First of all, we shouldn't be talking contract about this man's money. That's his money. But the thing, what what was, what what was, what I'm getting upset mm-hmm. about is that Darren Waller. You take Darren Waller off the Raiders and bring in another tight end just for money. It's not about money or anything. It's about what he brings to the table in the locker room. Sometimes you guys forget that. That, and I don't mean you, but mm-hmm. sometimes the fans forget that. I I played, and you, I know that in the locker room you can have a great player, but if he if he doesn't. If he, he yeah. doesn't communicate with the team and he's he, he's all by himself, no, you want to you you don't have to have a, um, a choir boy locker room, but at the same time, 
you, Darren Waller is a big part of that locker room. Yep. You get rid I got to run, my friend. I, I agree. The value of Darren Waller as a leader in the locker room is something big. DJ LeMayu, home run. Yankees tie the Red Sox 4-4, Bobby. Bottom of the eighth. That was a big spot for the Yankees. Tiger Woods will get a leaderboard update. Hey, uh, next hour, a couple of really good interviews. The Greg Townsend replay. Next, Scott Miller, baseball insider. Don't miss this. We got a great weekend lined up here at Raider Nation Radio.